Well, folks, as I said at the start of the service, uh, today um, is part of the Feast of Tabernacles. How many have heard of the Feast of Tabernacles? The first time I heard about it, I wondered what food it involved. Um, and apparently it, it's more spiritual food than steak. Um, so um, anyway, <laughs> I suppose spiritual food satisfies us and fills us on a longer term basis than a, than a mere steak. You see, the problem is with steak, it's, it's nice. If you get a bigger steak, it lasts longer, but it still only lasts as long as the steak lasts. And I always find myself with the last bite and I'm looking around the plate going, surely there's something more hidden under the potatoes. Surely there's something more. Uh, go back to the pan, maybe something more there. Uh, but uh, nevertheless, it doesn't seem to be. But Feast of Tabernacles, uh, here it is, an annual feast. It's the third of the holy feasts. Um, uh, and it's unique, really, because it's, it's, it's the only feast that is yet to be fulfilled because it's, it's one of those feasts that looks forward to a time henceforth. It's prophetic. Zechariah 14 and 16 says, And it shall come to pass that everyone who is left of all the nations which came against Jerusalem shall go up from year to year to worship the King, the Lord of hosts, and to keep the Feast of Tabernacles. It's about a time of thanksgiving. It's about looking back and remembering uh, the, 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 the deliverance of the Israelites um, out of slavery. But it's also about a time of thanksgiving. It's the, it's, it's the harvest festival, if you like. It's a time of the ingathering of the harvest and thanking God for the provision of all that wonderful uh, harvest that then sees us through those fallow months of, of the winter. It's about praising God uh, continually. And it looks forward to that day there, as, as Zechariah uh, uh, prophetically speaks of, when all will go up to Jerusalem and gather uh, together to worship God. Um, I spoke briefly to Arthur last night, and he says that the team is heading to Jerusalem today. So they are literally in Jerusalem, heading to Jerusalem to worship the Lord. Uh, what an amazing uh, time to be there. It's almost as if Arthur designed the time. Uh, you know, they are there right now. There we go. Live updates coming in from the, 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 the satellite system here, folks. Praise God. Praise God. Uh, but look, folks, there is a time coming when whilst at the moment many Jewish people's eyes have been blinded to the truth of Messiah, Jesus, or Yeshua, as it is in Hebrew, there is a time when the Bible tells us that all Israel, that is all the people of Israel, shall be saved. Don't ask me how that's going to come about, because when I look out and about just now, I'm not quite sure I've really got the faith to believe that, if I'm being perfectly honest. But yet, also, I do. You know, it's like the man in the Bible that says to Jesus, said, Lord, I believe, help me in my unbelief, right? So we believe, but it's quite hard to see it in the natural in that sense. Um, but we've worshipped already. We've had a wonderful time of worship. Thank you, team, for, for leading us uh, there in, in, in worship. Some uh, really wonderful songs there. And, and now uh, our worship continues in reading the word uh, together. And Psalms is an amazing place to go. You know, I, I've been reading Psalms for many years, um, but it's only recently, uh, in the last sort of four or five years or so, that I've really delved into the Psalms and gone to the Psalms on a regular, regular basis. You know, you're aware of little words here and there and the old classic Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, and so on and so forth. And a lot of people are aware of these ones, but to really take a deep dive and understand what is it? What's the purpose of these Psalms? You know, the amazing thing is that in the Psalms, there is something for everyone in every situation and circumstance. So if you woke up this morning and you bounced out of bed, maybe you're one of those morning people that's you know, got a smile as wide as the River Nile first thing in the morning, then there's a psalm for you. Perhaps you like me and it takes you a good two hours to get going uh, in the morning. There's a psalm for you. 
Perhaps you're suffering in a time of your life at the moment. There's a psalm for you. Perhaps you're in a time of blessing, uh, 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 an abundance in your life. There's a psalm for you. Perhaps you're feeling down and depressed. There's a psalm for you that will lift you up out of that pit. There is a psalm in every single situation. And so psalms is a, time, a place where I go to quite often when I'm spending time in God's presence, whether it's uh, listening to an audio Bible or whether it's just merely just opening uh, the Word. A lot of the time I just open the Bible and, and just leave it to the Lord to just take me wherever He wants to take me in, 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 the, in the Bible. And it is incredible when you allow God to do that. It is amazing how the Scripture just speaks to you at that moment in time. I don't know how many can testify to that. I certainly can. And I was recently out for a drive at night. I've said before um, that I, I function late at night, um, and uh, I recently went out. So I'm quite often off on a Sunday and a Monday. And when I'm off on the Monday as well, uh, I like it because I have a rest later on on a Sunday um, after having a normally a busy week at work. And then I get up and I have dinner quite late. Uh, and then quite often uh, earlier on in the summer, I might go out for a walk. But at this time of year, I'll probably go for a drive. Um, and this is what I did a few weeks ago. I went out uh, down to the coast about one o'clock in the morning. I went for a walk along the beach. Um, and um, it's just really nice because, you know, there's no one else there. And you can just... You, how many other times of the day can you just march along the beach and not be concerned whatsoever about however many other people might hear you or see you or whatever else? And you can just march along and there's this wonderful thing. And it was such a calm night and it was in incredible. And it, I mean, it was raining. Um, and I, I, just, I just got the cagoule out. Um, it's always good to go with a cagoule when you're in the west of Scotland, I find. Um, even today when it's sunny, I hope you've packed a cagoule in your boot. Because uh, it rains when it's sunny in this part of the world. I can't understand that, but it does. Um, so I, there I was out for this walk, and I was spending time in God's presence. And then I got back in the car. I'd taken my Bible with me, intending to read the Word a bit. Um, and I just said, Lord, where, where, where shall I go to? Um, and he took me to Psalm 103. And it's a psalm that um, I've, again, you know, I've dived little bits into here and there. But I've never read it in full as a whole passage I've never done a deep dive of study into it um, and what I found was that this is a really rich psalm um, and I think that it's there's a lot that God can say to us um, through this but I think it's what I want us to see today is that as we walk through this psalm that God can reveal all sorts of incredible things to us as we meditate upon his word as we allow that word from his word to seep into our innermost being and to become part of us. What does it? it says in Psalm 119, I think it's verse 11, if I'm not mistaken. It says, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Okay, um, and that means reading the word, meditating upon it, allowing that word to seep in and to bed within us. Um, and if you are ever struggling to praise God whether that's spiritually you find some sort of blockage, whether the circumstances and the storms of life seem to just be in, just insurmountable in front of you and you're just not able to focus on God, turn to a psalm and you'll find immediately there's the words. If you're struggling to pray, turn to a psalm and just start speaking those words out as a prayer and you'll find, oh, wow, okay. Next time you go to pray, I guarantee you, you will recall some of those words. And you'll just find yourself walking around the house with the hoover. I don't do that often. My house is not the best at the moment. Um, I'm looking for a housekeeper if anyone asks for it. Um, uh, but um, the, 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 this, this psalm is um, one of only a few psalms that is 22 verses in length. It's just the same length as the Hebrew alphabet. 
And that's not a coincidence, it's not an accident, it's a very deliberate design. This psalm forms a couple of parts. Um, there's an opening section and then there's the rest of it, which itself is then divided into uh, two or three subsections. Um, and it's not just a random stream of thought. The psalmist um, is not just sort of slapped a few emotive, slushy words down on a page here. Um, you know, sort of Jesus is my boyfriend type sort of stuff. You know, this, this is... Um, uh, this is the psalmist pouring his heart out before God and praising God. It's a call to worship. So let's read this Psalm uh, 103. And it says here, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame, he remembers that we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field. For the wind passes over it, and it is gone. And its place knows it no more. But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him. And his righteousness to children's children. To those who keep his covenant and remember to do his commandments, the Lord has established his throne in the heavens, and his kingdom rules over all. Bless the Lord, O you his angels, you mighty ones who do his word, obeying the voice of his word. Bless the Lord, all his hosts, his ministers who do his will. Bless the Lord, all his works, in all his places of dominion, of his dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. And I'm sure as we read that, you can, there's probably little bits that jump out at you, but let's, let's take a wander through here, because right from the start, we have this word, bless. And what is the opposite of bless? It's curse. Or what do we find out in society so much? People curse God. You know, they profess no belief in God. They profess and claim that God is not real. Even just last night, I came home from work, I opened Twitter, and I got a notification because I dared to respond to someone that claimed that abortion is all about celebrating women's rights. And I dared to say, um, what exactly is egregious to suggest that we should uphold the sanctity of life? Uh, and what I got was abuse. God is not even real, and I won't repeat the rest of the words. Um, that person can't see anything I post anymore. They've been blocked. Um, that's my general policy. Um, oppose me? Absolutely. No problem with that. I welcome that. I love debate. There's no need for abuse. That's just ridiculous. And really, it just shows the condition of their heart um, more than anything. Um, 
But um, the, 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 what is a blessing uh, versus a curse? You see, a blessing is a good thing. A curse is not a good thing at all, right? They're, they're, they're opposed. You can't bless a curse. You can't curse a blessing in that sense. They're, they're two diametrically opposed things. And the call here is not just to bless the Lord, not just to praise the Lord, but to praise the Lord with all that is within us. Not just a little bit of us, not just part of us, but all, everything that we have. Praise God. So when I was marching down that coastline uh, the other week, there I was, I was belting out some songs. Right? I was making a joyful noise, not necessarily a tuneful noise. I was making a joyful noise. Right? And why? Because I wanted to praise God with all that I had. Now, part of the reason for that was because I knew the two weeks that I had coming up that are just ending now in terms of busyness at work um, and how intense things were going to be. So I thought to myself, you know what? I'm going to get myself right with God here and I'm going to put God first and I'm going to put, more importantly, put the praise of God first because when we put the praise of God first, the atmosphere shifts, circumstances change when we choose to put God first in our lives, when we choose to put the praise of God before the complaints of our flesh. It's very easy to complain, isn't it? You know, I have said before how frustrated I get on the road um, with, uh, with, with, with slow drivers, um, and, and particularly when you're following them. It's fine if they want to go in their own lane, but I would like to get somewhere in a reasonable time. The accelerator was created, praise God, for a reason, and I intend to use it to the full most ability of its power. Um, and um, But, the, the, you know... Maybe one way of looking at it, when I get stuck behind these vehicles that seem to be fixed to 50 miles an hour, the, it may be God providing me more time to spend time in his presence whilst I'm driving on the way to work. There's one way of looking at it. I'd be lying if I tell you I actually see it that way. But, you know, there's two, it just shows you there's two ways of looking at things. You know, we can sit there and we can complain, or we can sit there and say, actually, Lord, what are you doing in this situation? What are you doing in this circumstance? Even just last night, I was talking to one of, one of the team um, at work who's got a tremendous amount of stuff going on um, in, in their, their life outside of work, and they've not been able to separate that from work, and it's affected them the last couple of days uh, to the extent where they made a tremendous uh, error of judgment last night, um, which had to be addressed. And I don't like addressing those things because it's not nice to have to tell people off. But also, I don't like addressing things at 11 o'clock at night after we've been going already for eight hours um, and we've still got a number of hours to go. And you, you, you don't want to beat people down. But at the same time, you have to address things. So the matters about the tone that you address them. And it, it, it's, it's so obvious that what happens is if we decide to stop at the door and say, you know what, whatever else is going on, I'm going to choose to worship God. You know, maybe, maybe you've come in here this morning and you're struggling. Maybe there's things going on in your life that means it's a struggle to praise God. Maybe you, maybe you think, oh, it's okay, I'll just play lip service. I'll just kind of mumble a few words and that, and that will kind of tick a box. But the psalmist here calls us to bless the Lord with all of our being. It doesn't call us to bless the Lord with all of our being depending on the circumstances or depending on how we feel or depending on what the weather is or depending on how fast or slow the traffic has been on the way into church. He calls us to bless the Lord with all of our being regardless of any of that other stuff. And sometimes we can 
even claim to be giving our all to worship. We can claim to be worshiping with all of ourselves. But the reality is, and I know it's true in my case, that other things sometimes get in the way and we end up worshiping other things. Right? It's easy, isn't it, to allow other distractions to get in the way. To, 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 you know, the amount of times where I've gone in uh, to, to my quiet place at home and sat down with the intention of reading the Word, and, and you know, okay, right, the phone needs charged. Put the phone down on the charger. Why is the charger not working, right? Okay, we'll, we'll unplug that. And then you realize, oh, actually, if it was plugged in there, then that's a better way of running all the cables. And before you know it, you start unplugging things, and half an hour goes by, and you've still not opened the Word of God. Right? I don't know how many can, 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 can track with that, but I know in my life I can get very easily distracted, not just from reading the Word, but from any uh, subject matter. Right? I, I most easily get distracted from washing the dishes with various other things. And you come back an hour later, these dishes don't seem to have washed themselves. What's, what's going on these days? You know, it's remarkable. And then it just piles up and you think, ah, well, it's too late now. We'll just have to head to bed. And, you know, sometimes you just have to make a conscious decision to say, no, I'm just going to go to bed a bit later and I'm going to get these dishes washed because that means when I wake up in the morning, I come down and it's all clean and I'm going to start my day well because the decks are, are cleared. Versus coming down in the morning and thinking, well, the first thing I've got to do is spend some time rummaging around for a spoon. Now, I'm in a position of responsibility at work, right? And, and, and I'm meant to be setting up function spaces for two, three hundred people to, to come and enjoy their functions at work. It doesn't look very good for the team if I say, sorry, guys, sorry I'm late. I just I couldn't find a spoon. <laughs> you know, it's not really going to work out too well, is it? But these distractions can come into the way and stop us from getting into the word it can stop us from spending that time in God's presence that we need to build us up to encourage us to edify us and you know folks following Christ is a full-time vocation it's not a part-time job it's not the sort of thing that you can just dip in and out of it's not the sort of thing that you can just turn up to on a Sunday morning lift your hands and sing a few songs and go through the motions and pretend either it's real or it's not and if it's real, it should be something that guides you and leads you in every aspect of your life, regardless of what's going on. You know, sometimes I come across people who, you, you know, we, we, we might pray for someone on a Sunday, and then the following Sunday you see them and you ask them, how's your week been? Oh, well, just the same. Well, what was the point of the prayer? Now, I'm not suggesting for a moment that everything just vanishes because of a simple prayer. No, the reality of the storms of life is sometimes things take longer to work through. But let's focus on some progress here, folks. If your struggle is praying, then let's start small. Let's start by saying, can you spend 30 seconds a day praying? Okay, yeah, I'll give that a go. Next week, how was it going? Oh, I did it two days. Fantastic, you did it two days. That's one minute that you spent praying this week that you didn't spend the previous week. Next week, let's see what more we can do. How much are we reading the Word? So it's, it's about that in-between. It's not just about what we do and go through the motions in a service. It's about what we do in our own lives. And when our heart is orientated towards God, it should make us want to spend more time with God. And when we're busy with various different things in life, that should, in a sense, upset us because that means that we're not able to spend all of that time in God's presence. Or should it? Because actually you should be able to take the aroma of Christ with you wherever you go in whatever situation. 
And I can attest over many years the amount of times where I have been called to various different situations that have happened at work, all manner of things. You would not even believe half of them if, 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 if I told you. You know, when I tell people stories of work, they look at me and they think I'm exaggerating or just making it up. It's just sometimes it is just that wild um, and actually hold details back sometimes because it is that wild. And the, I can attest to the number of times where I've been called to a situation and I rush straight into it and things escalate. Because my judgment is appalling. My ability to judge and assess a situation and make a rational decision is terrible. But with God's help, situations can change. And he can use me to be placed into a situation to allow him to do his work through that situation. And the amount of times where I have been called to a situation, I race up the stairs and I just stop dead before the door and I'm saying, Lord, just help me here. Lord, have your way. A simple two, three seconds. And I walk into the situation and a few minutes later, I'm away from the situation and I march away and I'm thinking, well, that didn't seem to be as serious as it might have been or, well, that could have turned out a lot worse. And there's been situations that are pretty horrendous. I remember on my last day at a previous hotel, a man fell down an escalator head first. You know, he, was, he was very close to death. But as I was there attending as a first aider, I wasn't actually praying. I'd be lying if I was said I was sitting there praying. No, I was more concerned with the medical right in front of me. But I believe God placed me there at that moment in time to be with that individual. Okay? And, and, and fortunately, his life was saved, and, and he, I don't know how he is now, but he was pretty seriously injured at the time, but he got the right care that he needed. How would that have been if I had just rushed in and acted rashly without doing anything else? You see, the point is, when we orientate our lives towards God and allow God to take over, it's less of us and more about him. And that's what it's got to be. And we need to, therefore, be giving everything, everything to him. We've sung some songs, we've sung some songs this morning with uh, various words, but there's some various other songs, you know. What about that song, I will sing of your love forever? What if we just change that word to, I'll sing of your love on Sundays? Because sometimes that can be the reality of things. What about the, the, the song, I surrender all? Uh, change the word all to some, I surrender some. None of us would dare stand there and sing that, would they? You know, uh, Savior, he can move the mountains. You know, Savior, I don't need a Savior. It's all about me. We wouldn't dare say that. So we sing those words, but do we actually believe them? Do we actually allow that to then change the orientation of our life to be around God and to bless God? And I'll ask you a question at this point. Can you really say that you bless the Lord in your life with all of yourself? Just think about that for a moment. It's a challenge, isn't it? I know in my life it's not necessarily the answer, not the answer that I would be proud of, really. But with God's help, I can move towards a point where I can answer that question happily and confidently. And so the psalm goes on to the next verse, and it says, The call is to bless the Lord and forget not all his benefits. Ah, okay. So what are these benefits? Well, these benefits are the blessings. Three gifts that God chooses to lavish on us. Gifts that are free to anyone who chooses to accept Jesus as Lord. 
And the psalm here then goes on to list five benefits. You know, everyone loves having a benefit, don't they? You know, it makes you feel good, makes you feel special, right? Join the National Trust today and you can gain free access to all our properties for one simple annual fee. You know, you still have to pay something. One of the benefits of working at a hotel is that I get um, access to cheap room rates um, and, I, and I get access to cheaper um, food and beverage prices. It's a five-star hotel I work in. There's no way I'd be able to afford to actually eat or dine there. But I can afford it because I have this benefit of reduced uh, things, and that's a nice thing to do. If you get into trouble and bother with the law, it's nice if you've got a friend who's a lawyer, isn't it? that can advise you or they can put you in touch with someone else. That's a benefit. Everyone loves a benefit. Having good neighbors who will look after your house or maybe your pets or maybe your mother-in-law. No, sorry, um, whilst you're away. Um, God offers greater benefits than these mere physical uh, material benefits. So what are they? Number one, he forgives. Straight up front. He wipes all sin he cleans the slate and he keeps no record. That's the amazing thing about it. So once sin is dealt with, once you've gone to the Lord and you have said, Lord, forgive me, I've done wrong here. He doesn't just forgive you. He wipes the slate clean and he forgets about it so that when you say, oh, Lord, I just keep sinning, he'll say, what, what, what was that sin? What are you talking about? The slate has been wiped clean. I don't keep a record of it. That's incredible. The Bible has so much to say. You want to learn more about um, Christ being our sacrifice. Hebrews chapter 10 is a great place uh, to look at uh, for more details there. You know, God has always wanted to forgive us for our sin. Why? Because he loves us. He always, he always grieved. Sin has always grieved him because sin separates us from God. It means that we can't be in that close communion with God that we were intended to be in the original creation. And benefit number two, he heals. Physically, he removes diseases. And note the word here, because every word here is important. Who heals all your diseases. There is not one disease that God is not able to heal. There is not one sickness, there is not one ailment, there is not one physical impairment that God is not able to heal. And if you try to challenge me on that, then I will tell you about the numerous occasions where I have seen people healed, sometimes over a period of time, sometimes instantly on the spot. If you want to, after the service, I will show you a video of someone being prayed for and their leg physically growing out in front of the camera. Right? That's the power of God operating and healing a disease. Right? No surgeon can do that. No surgeon can just say, grow. But you can command a leg to grow in Jesus' name and it grows. Sickness has no place, yet it's a reality. Stuart, that's a contradiction. What are you saying here? Let me explain it. Sickness and disease is the reality of living in a fallen world. It's not part of God's ideal pattern. It's not part of God's original pattern. But it's the reality of a fallen world. And because it's the reality of a fallen world... And at the same time, it not being part of God's pattern or plan, it doesn't have to be, doesn't have to be a permanent reality of your life. God desires for you to be healed. Ah, oh, but Stuart, you see, I've been struggling with this for years and years and years. Okay, well, let's look at things here. Have you got used to it and accepted it? 
to the point where it's become part of you. No matter how big an issue it may be, God can heal all diseases, and for the time being, whilst that disease is there or fault is there within you, God can give you the grace to be able to cope with it and cope through it. I want to encourage you this morning, maybe you have been suffering for many years and you've been believing for healing and you've been praying and you've been prayed over many times and yet you're still not quite healed, but you believe for it. Don't give up. Keep pressing on. Keep pressing in. Believe that God will give you that healing because he will. I promise you, one day that healing is coming for you. And when that healing comes, that's your testimony that you're going to be so keen to jump around and share with everyone else around you. Every single person around you. Benefit number three, he redeems or he saves. So just as he forgives, he redeems. He offers life where death became the only option. Not just the default, but the only option. He rescues us from the pit. Let's think of Daniel, who was put into the pit of the lion's den. God rescued him physically from that, that lion's den. He closed supernaturally the mouths of the lions so they did not eat him. And then what happened? Well, after he was rescued, those who had conspired against Daniel were themselves thrown into the pit and the lions devoured them, gone, just like that, not a bone left. You see, sin made death the default position, but Jesus made a way for it to be an, not the only option. Doesn't mean that we're all just automatically forgiven. No, there's steps that we must take. There's decisions that we must make in order to receive that forgiveness, in order to receive that free gift of life that is given to us. You see, the Bible says that the wages of sin is death. That means that the price that we should be paying for sin, everything that we've ever done wrong, every time we have rebelled against God, every time we've gone against His standards and failed to uphold His truth and His standards... We should die. So by that measure, I should not be alive today. I don't know about anyone else. You're probably way more perfect than me. But I know myself, I should not be alive because I've sinned, because I've rebelled against God. But that's only half of that verse. But how do we know that everyone has sinned? Because there's a verse elsewhere that says, for all have fallen short of the glory of God. And if things finish there, then there would be no hope. It would just be despair. And there would be absolutely no point in us gathering here. But we gather here to worship and we gather here to bless the Lord with all that is within us. Why? Because fortunately that verse that starts for the wages of sin is death does not end there. It's only half the verse. The other half of the flip side, it's the result of what God has done for us through His Son, Jesus Christ. It says, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus. That is the amazing gift. He redeems us from the pit of hell. He redeems us from that default of death to the point where we can have life and have it to the fullness. What an amazing situation. But it doesn't stop there because we're only through three out of the five benefits. And then it says he crowns us. 
And when I read this first, you know, I kind of just read this psalm through and I didn't think a huge amount about it. And then I started going through it, combing through it verse by verse and meditating upon each verse. And I'm looking at this and I'm thinking, he crowns us. Well, that just strikes me as a bit odd. Shouldn't it be us crowning him? He's the king. He's the king of kings. He's the Lord of lords. And yet, it says he crowns us. Verse 4, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy. He chooses to take that crown that is rightfully his and place it upon our head and say, come and be co-heirs with me. Come and partake in the inheritance that there is. Come and partake in everlasting life that I have made possible through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. You see, the significance here is that the first time that Christ was crowned was as a mockery. He was crowned with a crown of thorns that was pressed into his head that cut his flesh and caused even more pain and suffering than he had already gone through. And it was designed to make a mockery of him. It was designed to belittle him. It was designed to lower him to the lowest of petty criminals to the point where he then looks and he turns and he still stands on that cross and says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they're doing. But you see, just as that verse about the wages of sin being death doesn't stop there and it talks about life, when Christ comes back, he's going to be crowned with a crown of righteousness. He's going to be crowned the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And every knee will bow and confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. We started out looking at the Feast of Tabernacles, looking ahead to that day when all Israel shall be saved and everyone shall come together and worship God in Jerusalem. What an incredible prospect that is. Worshipping together in unity and harmony. The King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. We are to be co-heirs with Christ. This steadfast love and mercy that he crowns us with, he showers it upon us. He clothes us in his righteousness. He cleans us up. And for that, we should be eternally thankful. And then fifthly, he satisfies. He gives the desires of the heart. He gives us good things. He gives us the energy for life. He gives us the zeal for life. You know, I have spoken to many people over the years who have attempted suicide or reached the point where they contemplated suicide. And the, num the, 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 the factor that is consistent across each and every situation, even though there's various different circumstances and various different personalities, of course, because everyone's unique, the thing that is consistent in every situation is that they have no purpose in life. So they think. They haven't found any purpose. They don't understand what is the point of living. What is the point of continuing? They've missed the point of life and they've allowed the storms of life to become the prevailing factor in their life. To the point where that overwhelms them and they say, I can't deal with it anymore, I just need to end it. But you know what? Christ ended it on the cross. When he hung on that cross, he hung for each and every one of us. So that yes, we may still go through storms of life. But when we go through those storms of life, we don't have to go through them alone. We've got Christ right with us. Saying, come on, I've been there. I've been through the suffering. 
I know what it's like. Take my hand. Let's walk this together. And he picks us up. And he renews us. And he restores us. So there we go. Five factors. What more could you want? If this all sounds a bit like live your best life now type stuff, well, not to use that phrase, but in that sense, it's meant to be. Because actually when you look at all those five things, that gives us a great life, I think. Forgives, redeems, heals, crowns and satisfies us. We are not meant to be living in a pit of despair. God did not create us to live with our heads buried in the sand. With our, you know, walking along with our, our, our head held so low that our chin is sweeping the road. We are to be walking, standing tall, praising God, saying, you have redeemed me from the pit of destruction and you have lifted me up. And you have restored my life. Christ made the way for us to have that life of purpose, of fulfillment, of freedom from sin, from death, from addiction, from depression, from anxiety, from all forms of illness. He came to give us life and life in the full. But yet, what sort of advert are we for Christ if we ourselves are still so miserable? What advert for Christ are we if we are not living our lives orientated around Christ, saying, I will bless the Lord at all times with all that I am? What advertisement is it? You know, there's many people come into this church visiting from time to time, and, and the consistent thing that is said is, there's something different here. I can sense people want to be here. There's a zeal for life. There's a zest for life here. And then they, they, they return. Maybe that's you today, that you, you've, you've returned as a visitor because you sense what the Lord is doing here. But if we don't focus ourselves on God, if we don't allow the Holy Spirit to work on us and to renew us and to turn the frown upside down to a smile, it's almost as if we're sort of saying... Come to church, get saved, and you too can be just this depressed. And you might even get a little blue carrier sack with some holes in it that you can just stumble along the road with. You can be just as miserable with those, just as miserable as those out on the street who don't have any hope. And what advertisement is that for the glorious gospel of Christ? who says he came to heal, to forgive, to redeem, to crown, and to satisfy. 1 Thessalonians 4.13 says that when we're mourning a reality of life, people pass, and it's sad because we miss them. It leaves a gap in our life. But we should not be mourning as those without hope. You see, the Bible doesn't say don't mourn. In actual fact, it says exactly the opposite. It says weep with those who weep. But it's how we weep, it's how we mourn. I remember being at both my grandparents' funerals and I was asked to uh, give a, a eulogy. And in both occasions, of course I was sad. I had grown up with these grandparents. And you reach a point where you think, well, maybe they'll just go on forever. Maybe there'll just never be a day where they're not there. And then gradually they're getting older and older. They need more support uh, and, and health problems start to come in. And all of a sudden your, your relationship with them starts to change. 
the mind is slower, they can no longer hold the same level of conversation they did before, and so you end up supporting them more than them supporting you, and things change, responsibilities change. And when they actually die, yes, I was sad, because whilst things had changed in life, and there had been transitions in the last few months and years, they're still actually just no longer there. I could no longer just go to their house and they'd be there. So that makes me sad made me sad but at the same time I was not defined by that sadness because there was the joy the greater joy of knowing that both of them were freed from the pain and suffering they were going through freed from the pain and suffering they were going through and seated with Christ praising God in the heavens with all the saints and that should be something that we all desire that should be something that we all work towards to the point where we run that race with endurance to the point where when God takes us home, he welcomes us with open arms and he says, well done, good and faithful servant. I would wager to you today that these five benefits are good enough to transform a life from despair and disappointment to joy and victory. But what about God's faithfulness? Well, his compassion on the lost is, is the abounding theme here. His, his unfailing love through the generations. We mentioned Moses and the Israelites in this psalm. God's love to his people Israel, despite all of their rebellions, despite all their wrongdoing, despite their turning their back on God continually. He still loves them and he still keeps covenant. Even after he rescued them from slavery in Egypt, they then grumbled in the desert oh, well, maybe we'll just go back to slavery. At least we had three meals a day. They were rubbish, but at least we had three meals. And then you get the, 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 the spies going into the promised land and one bringing back a great report and another bringing back a terrible report. It caused 40 years of living in the wilderness again. God never turned his back on them because he's faithful and he keeps his covenant. And his mercy. You see, God should have left us to rot in the pit. He should have condemned us to hell. But he could not let it happen without giving us the opportunity to change. Why? Because he loves us. He reached out to us, presented us an opportunity for salvation. When we deserve death, he presented the opportunity for life. And then verse 8 says that God is slow to anger. And you might think that God would be justified in becoming angry because it's us that have turned our backs on him so many times. It's us that have rejected him. And yet, and yet, it says, he chooses to be slow to anger. Earlier on this week, I was slightly hasty. I allowed anger to get the better of myself and it caused the situation to spiral uh, which really just wasted time because then we needed to spend time simmering things down. What if I had been slow to anger there? However, verse 9, it says, He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. God will get angry if we continually reject him forevermore. So the best option is to turn to him today. And to embrace those open arms. 
and we're totally forgiven. Verse 10, our sins are blotted out. He does not deal with us according to our sins. He doesn't give us the, what might seem in the, the sort of the logical sense, the natural course of punishment for our sins. Why? Because he offers that opportunity for forgiveness. He does the opposite through forgiveness. And then it says, what happens to that sin? Well, it says, as far as the east is from the west, so far as that sin. We can't get back to that sin once it's dealt with. We can't reach it. Why? Because it's been dealt with. It's been dealt with. Verses 14 to 16 here talk about uh, tomorrow being unknown. I wonder if you were to go home tonight, put your head on your pillow and never wake up, would you be certain as to where you're going? Would you have that assurance as to where you're going? Nobody knows apart from God what will happen tomorrow. And if Christ came back tomorrow, would you be ready? There's many, many people that do lots of studying about when is Christ going to come back. Christ was coming back a week ago according to certain nonsense online. But we know it's nonsense because it says in the Bible, no one apart from God, not even Christ knows the date of his return. So we shouldn't be worrying about when he's going to return. We should be worried about and concerned about whether we're ready for his return. You know, some of us are busy. You know, are we going to be ready when Christ comes or are we going to suddenly start trying to sweep everything up and clean up all the muck and yuck of our lives in the vague hope that it's not too late? Every single time my parents come over, I'm suddenly, gosh, got got to get up, hoover out, hoover out. Um, and, you know, a few times I've been caught in the act. You know, they're, 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 they've arrived and I've still got the hoover out, you know. Was that you just hoovering? Ah, I was just giving it another once over, you know. just uh, The once a month over. <laughs> Someone else who I, I won't say who it is to save the embarrassment. There's no one here. Um, uh, I remember going to their house and this is someone who was notorious for clutter and junk and just general untidiness. Uh, and when they were at university, I, I went to their house expecting the place to be somewhere south of a pigsty and um, showed me to the room and um, I was pleasantly surprised. I mean, there was bedding on the bed um, and it was relatively organized. Um, and, and, and I said, oh, you've got a nice wardrobe in the corner. And I sort of gently opened the wardrobe. Don't, don't, don't open it. Don't. And of course, everything had been bundled up in a haste and shoved into the wardrobe. Well, folks, you know what? When Christ returns, if we manage to get everything bundled up and shoved into the wardrobe, he's just going to walk straight in and open the doors and allow all that muck and yuck of our life to spew back out onto the floor. And he's going to say, you didn't fool me. Folks, take the opportunity now, today, here, to get right with God. The wind blows and we're gone. We are as grass. Fields, uh, flowers in the field. Has anyone ever taken a, a, one of those um, like furry dandelions and you just, slightest blown, doofed, gone? You, you try getting all those pieces back together and reassembling the dandelion. I don't know, I, I'm not sure it would work. We're just gone. And there's a, there's a word here that it says, for he remembers, verse 14, he remembers that we are dust. That's not belittling us. That's not trying to put us down. It's the reality of the fact that God 
intervened because he remembered that we are finite beings. That our body will eventually come, in the natural realm, will come to an end. So he, he, th th there, was a, there was a hasty need to intervene in order to present that opportunity before it was too late for people. And then we come to the culmination, the last few verses of this psalm. Verse 22 notes that all his works also, not just us, but all his works are to worship God also. Bless the Lord, O you angels, you mighty ones who do his words. Verse 20, obeying the voice of his word. Bless the Lord, all his hosts, his ministers who do his will. Bless the Lord, all his works in all places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. That much is quite obvious to me, that everything should be blessing the Lord with all that it is, all the time. Even creation worships the workmanship of God. And in creation, we see the workmanship of God. We're all to worship God, not each other. We're not to exalt any man over another. You know, there's a, there's a disease in part of the church that exalts the man of God. Oh, the man of God, look at this wonderful anointing. Oh, it's wonderful. Yeah, sure. There are people in the church, there are preachers, there are teachers that God has chosen to anoint for a particular purpose. But the minute that we exalt that person and place them on a pedestal, when they inevitably slip up and trip somewhere along the lines... All of a sudden, boom, that's it. 20 years of ministry, gone. Nobody listens to another word of them. We've seen that with a number of big names recently, right? Why? Because they're just as imperfect as anyone else. And when you have a large, high-profile public platform, anything that you do that is wrong is just amplified even more. Okay? Right now, I won't do it for the purpose of the recording. If I was to turn the microphone off, my voice would not be as amplified as it is right now. Some people would still hear my voice, but others might not. Just because there might be a preacher in some small village in the Outer Hebrides that no one outside of that village has ever heard of, he might sin just as much as the big man on the TV. But the big man on the TV is going to get a lot more attention for that slip-up. Because it's on that greater scale of things. So be careful of worshipping another man. Worshipping creation itself is idolatry. Romans 1 talks about that. My father always refers to Romans 1 as a sort of the descent of man. I think it's a wonderful phrase he uses. And, and, and it's true. You know, it talks about descent of man. But it talks about that they have exchanged the worship of the creator for creation. Right? They exchanged the worship of creation, a creator for the creation. Our orientation should be upwards towards God, not downwards towards the daffodils. Okay, we should notice the daffodils, they're nice. You might not like daffodils, you might like tulips, that's fine. But we don't worship them. We admire them as beauty, yes. I admire cars, especially the fast ones, as beauty. But I don't worship them. So what have we in this whole psalm here? Well, we see that God loves us with an everlasting love. He wants us to love him back. He wants, he demands our worship, our praise, and all of it with all that we have. Let everything that we do 
be an act of worship unto God. Those five benefits, saving, redeeming, healing, crowning, satisfying, they can be yours today. We deserve no benefits. We shouldn't have access to any of them. Nothing at all. But because God loves us so much, he intervened and made a way for us to come back to him. So let's continually praise God with all that we are, everywhere, all the time. Let us never forget what Christ has done for us. And if you're struggling in situations in your life, pick up the Bible, turn to Psalms. Most Bibles, it's roughly in the middle. Easy to find. And just say to God, I'm just going to read this psalm as a prayer. I'm just going to read this psalm as an act of worship. I'm just going to lift your name on high. I'm just going to put the storms of life aside for the moment. I'm just going to put the pain that's going in my body aside for a moment. And I'm going to choose to let the praise rise with all that I am. So that we can stand there and we can truly sing on a Sunday morning or in any other day, in any other circumstance in our life, Lord, I give you my heart. I live for you alone. Every breath that I take, every moment that I'm awake, Lord, have your way with me. And can we really, truly sing that just now? Or is it more like, Lord, I give you some of my heart. With some of my breath, I live for you some of the time. And that's the challenge. That's the challenge. Father, we thank you, Lord, for your word. We thank you, Father, that there is something in your word for every single person, all of the time, in every situation. We thank you, Lord, that you have given us your word, not just as some kind of map and guidebook, but as an instruction manual for our life. We thank you, Father, that you have given us this living and active document that is sharper than any double-edged sword, that pierces even the hardest of hearts. We thank you, Father, that in your word we learn the truth of what you have done for us. We thank you that you have set us free, that you have opened the door to life, that you have chosen to present the opportunity for us to be forgiven, for us to be healed, for us to be redeemed, for us to be crowned, for us to be satisfied. Father, we thank you, Lord Jesus, that you chose to put yourself in our place, paying the price for everything that we've ever done wrong. And we ask, Lord Jesus, this day that you would be with us by the power of your Holy Spirit. Help us, Father, to learn to walk with you closer and closer every day, to spend more time with you, to bless your name for all that you've done for all that you are. And may we do that with all that we have. With all that we have. In Jesus' name.